Balance of Nature, changing the world one life at a time. Because this is an awesome product. It works. I'm in my mid-60s, and as you get older, you run out of energy, and this stuff works. It's amazing. I don't always eat a good diet, but at 66 years old, I'm somewhat retired as a long-haul trucker. Now I farm fruit orchard here, and I like it. I love the life. But as you get older, you, your energy starts to deplete no matter what your diet is. Once you take this stuff and get on this, the fruits and the vegetables, and three tablets each once a day, it's awesome. <laughs> it's unbelievable. It's, it's a game changer. You won't know until you try the product and see what it does. Yeah, it, it's amazing. Start your journey to better health with Balance of Nature right now. Call 1-800-246-8751 or go to balanceofnature.com for more information or to place your order. Shipping is always free. And don't forget to get 35% off your first order as a preferred customer by using discount code Kate. I'd to be a normal talk. Hi, everybody. This is Kate. Hey, go to preparewithkate.com. Right now, you can get some food storage in your home, and you can get such a savings on it. You can get a three-month supply with $150 off, or you can get a four-day supply uh, for $297. There's some great deals right now, and the best part is you can actually pay over time, but get it in your house right now. So I'm, I'm really letting you guys know, preparewithkate.com. It puts you right into Patriot Supply. They're a fantastic company with fantastic products products. And I urge you to go ahead and get some food now as prices are going to be doubling and scarcity is going to be happening. So please get some food under your roof. Prepare with Kate.com. Thanks guys. Show once worst two minutes of our lives. The Kate Daly show starts now. Something is going on. Some of us see it. Some of us feel it. It's time to expand your thinking. You will need to reset everything you thought you knew about the world, about the people you trust, about history, about yourself. Welcome back. Kate Daly Show. Last hour on a Friday? What? Uh, last week I did the Bob Dylan Show, and this week I'm doing a little bit on uh, Elvis and, of course, the Beatles. I know. How dare I tread on this territory of your life? (laughs) Because so many people are wrapped up in the history of their life when it pertains to music and all the experiences we had and all the things we've done. I get it. But you know what, though? What a different perspective you have when you realize all the people that they were associated with to become famous. Well, there's something wrong with the story. There's something wrong. And, well, there's nothing better than uncovering the truth about what the people were involved in and also always look at the implausibility of the career happening in record speed. Why are they so controlled and marketed and packaged? That's a big component to what we're talking about today because we're talking about the infiltration. And in 1947, the government, the CIA, uh, was formed and it came up with uh, propaganda assets. Propaganda assets, um, starting out really in the, from 19, I mean, the first thing they did was propaganda assets right here in the United States. And that was to um, get into arts, um, music, writing, journalism, the newspapers, and to have control over the press. Okay, and the arts, art itself, 
what art's good, what art's bad, like that, you know, that kind of thing. And um, really taking a lot of bad art and saying it was genius. <laughs> Because what would they do? They'd have reviews. People would write about it. And those were infiltrated at the time. We know that CBS was infiltrated. Washington Post was infiltrated in Project Mockingbird. Um, But it's important to know that talking about the people that the Beatles were involved with and also the um, and Elvis, because Elvis is Colonel Tom Parker. That new movie doesn't really tell you the whole tale. They want a diversion tactic from the truth. And and the version, the diversion tactic was to tell you that uh, Colonel Tom Parker was this mysterious guy who abused Elvis. No, they didn't tell you he was the CIA handler, did they? (laughs) Okay. Because he was involved in a lot of military intelligence people and has a background that is very bizarre, unexplained. So we get into the Beatles now, and the Beatles were a British intelligence project run by the BSC and Major John Pepper. And this is where they got the name Pepper for Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. Okay. He was a real guy. And he was on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's, uh, it's, you know, it is a famous, everyone on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's magazine cover, or I'm sorry, album cover is a, is a working for the CIA. They have Marilyn Monroe on there. And do you remember the show where we outed her as somebody that was delivering information back and forth from Russia to Kennedy? Okay. The BSC was the American arm of the MI6. They finally admit that now. And they also admit the BSC was run out of the Rockefeller Center. And its front was the British Passport Control Office. A passport control office was the front. The Beatles were also not a spontaneous grouping. As we were told, they were tested and tried out in Hamburg, Germany. And in the early days, um, and so we had the early days of this are just really not told very well. We don't get the real story. Did they write their music? Mm, it's debatable. Depends on what music you're talking about. They had ghostwriters, studio, uh, studio mus- uh, musicians, well-funded. Okay? So as we were leaving last show, I said, look at the first two lines of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. It says, well, it was 20 years ago today Sgt. Pepper taught the band to play. Sgt. Pepper, John Pepper is a British intelligence Everyone on the cover is outed as CIA without anyone really realizing it. Was Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, is that a group of people that were instructed to do things that they possibly maybe wanted to get out of? Is that why they're so lonely? And it was 20 years ago today, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. Taught the band to play. And what's on the cover of Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band? A band of people. 100 people on there that work in Hollywood and in media. Here we go. Interesting, right? Okay. And uh, in the corner of that magazine, uh, why do I keep saying magazine? Um, Album cover is uh, a girl sitting there in a red striped sweatshirt. It looks kind of mangled. I don't know. And it says the Rolling Stones on it. 
really fascinating record cover if you look at it through these eyes, which we're seeing now. That's bizarre. So you go through some of their lyrics like that. They're full of surprises. Um, We'd love to take you home. I really don't want to stop the show, but I thought you might like to know. Um, Let me introduce you. (laughs) Lonely Hearts Club Band. Woo! Um, So, Sergeant Pepper. um, Let's talk about him for just a second. Album came out in 1967. 20 years before that, it was 1947. So they were right. 20 years ago, Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play. And... uh, first year of the CIA, right? And of course, the Beatles weren't American. They were British. So we should look at what the British Secret Service was up to in 1947. Now, this research is more difficult. I give credit to uh, Miles Mathis on this, which uh, makes this surprising. Not a lot of people have done this. But Google on Pepper M16, uh, you'll find Major John Pepper, who was head of the BSC in 1947. What is the BSC? That is the SIS cover organization in the United States. We just talked about. 2SIS uh, is just another name for M16, M16, the British equivalent of the CIA. Pepper succeeded uh, William Stevenson as chair of the BSC. It was a British uh, security coordination. Um, Even Wikipedia now admits it was a covert organization set up in New York City, of course New York, in 1940 um, upon the authorization of Winston Churchill to mobilize pro-British opinion in the U.S. What did you say, Kate? Let me, let me repeat that. They were set up in New York City. Sergeant Pepper was the head. 1940, upon the authorization of Winston Churchill to mobilize pro-British opinion in the U.S. Massive propaganda campaign mobilized right from the Rockefeller Center. Funny how their name always crops up. And it was supported by the OSS, precursor to the CIA in 1947. And the front for the BSC was that British Passport Control Office. Okay? Notable employees of that? Oh, the guy that wrote Willy Wonka, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. The guy that wrote James Bond. Hmm. The creator of Doctor Who. The Findhorn Foundation, David Ogilvie, the father of advertising. It's propaganda, propaganda campaign. And the Beatles are telling you that the BCS taught the band to play, which means EMI Records and George Martin were involved. George Martin is considered the fifth Beatle, and I'll talk about that in a minute. Considered the fifth Beatle. He was in intelligence. And... uh, This is getting interesting, isn't it? (laughs) So they were mobilizing pro-British opinion in the United States. And who did that more than the Beatles at that time? So then you have to talk about Epstein, Brian Epstein, who died at a very young age of a very weird drug overdose. He was born, he was the first manager, right? The manager of, uh, of the Beatles. He said he found them. He was born into a family of successful retailers in Liverpool. And put him in charge of their music shop, um, where he displayed this gift for talent spotting. I'm reading you the narrative. He first met the Beatles in 1961 at a lunchtime concert at the Cavern Club in Liverpool. Although he had no experience of artist management. Wait a minute, no experience? That's interesting. Hmm. Epstein put him under contract. You mean to tell me the Beatles... (laughs) Went into contract with this guy who had never done this before. And the guy had connections, although he had never done this before. 
That's a little weird. So we'll talk about that when we come back because he then he was the one that persuaded George Martin of EMI Group to produce their records. And within months, the Beatles were months, not years, were international stars. And Epstein accompanied them to the United States where he was given lots of merchandise offers but had signed away 90% of the rights in advance. How does that happen? Why would somebody do that? You could say no experience? No, not really. No. But, but, but Epstein has a really curious past because Epstein, here he has never, ever worked with a band before. Ever. But he was able to spot the talent. They were wearing leather and blue jeans. And what is he, the first thing he wants to do? instantly repackage them well if he was sold on them why did he want to repackage them he wanted to change their entire look to the the suits with the ties right and the clean cut the clean cut look and uh they went along with it why john lennon says because they they would have done anything for a dollar that should tell you volumes right there because remember, there's three precursors to getting really, um, to, to signing on to this kind of stuff. You get picked because you have talent. So we're not saying here the Beatles didn't have talent. El- Elvis had talent. Do they have an it factor? Well, somebody's picking up on that. But they get to, they get to take the fast train to success, but they also have to agree to be very marketed and packaged as well. Remember when they tried to uh, package Elvis? repackage him right because obviously it was a little too much the gyrating on the camera a little too much for americans to handle that's why they stuck him in the military for a couple years soften up that up but get people to like him the parents but isn't that interesting that they had to instead of just saying no we don't like that they had to repackage him to to get you to like him to get him back into the circuit they wanted him in that circuit of music Whereas if it was natural evolution, he would have just gone to the, he just would have gone away. Elvis. Same thing with the Beatles. They instantly wanted to change him. And now how did Brian Epstein, the guy that uh, signs them, why would he want to do that so quick when obviously he liked what he saw? And at the time it wasn't anything different. He wanted to completely overhaul. Well, he has a really curious past. We'll come back to that. I hope all of this is fascinating to you. I mean, a lot of this kind of story isn't told, so that's why I love it. I love it. I've been doing a lot of research on this the last two years, too. Be right back, Kate Daly Show. Hi, this is Ryan from Inside Out Hyperbarics, and today I'm on the radio to say thank you to all of our clients who have allowed us to be part of their healing journeys. From helping those suffering from traumatic brain injury and chronic pain disorders, to those with symptoms of autoimmune or the lingering effects of COVID-19 long haulers. It's been an honor you put faith in us to help you through some of your toughest times. So to give back, we will be running monthly specials to celebrate our upcoming six-year anniversary. To find these specials, check us out on the web at InsideOutHyperbarics.com. Inside Out Hyperbarics, bringing out the best in you. Talk lines are open now. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, and I'm coming to you with one of the most important commercials that I've ever done. All of you know what my pillow and myself have gone through in the last eight months in my efforts to bring the truth forward. Well, now you can help in a couple ways. 
First, get everyone you know to go to my new media platform, frankspeech.com. There you'll find all the footage from my cyber symposium and many other important broadcasts. Also, I am personally doing a new daily live show to get the truth out. It's at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday. Secondly, I'm offering some of the best prices ever on my pillow products, but they're only available on frankspeech.com. Go to frankspeech.com now and use the promo code on your screen or call the 1-800 number below to receive these exclusive MyPillow offers. Thank you and God bless. Make sure and put the code word Kate, K-A-T-E. This will get you up to 66% savings at MyPillow.com. The code word Kate, my first name, K-A-T-E. Help support Mike, help support this show, and help support yourself in getting some amazing, amazing products. These are the best ones I've ever owned. Go to MyPillow.com, code word Kate. Call 888-673-1450. This is the Kate Daly Show. Kate Daly Show, I have so much more. And watching this uh, as I'm playing this song and these guys, this is when they were just fresh and new and on the scene and uh, just their their bowl haircuts and their suits. Very interesting look. That look had never, I mean, that look was new. And hmm. all right, so uh, welcome back. Of course, go to Inside Out Hyperbarics. Get yourself a hyperbaric machine in your house. Just do it. Go to InsideOutHyperbarics.com. You can get it. Sent to you immediately, pay on it later. I'm telling you, it'll be worth, it'll be worth it. Not only are they affordable, but it will help your health and and get you off pharma. That's the best thing you can do for yourself right now. And uh, make sure and get over uh, to InsideOutHyperbarics.com and ask questions and look at all of the success stories and talk to them and they'll tell you um, if hyperbaric can help you. I'm sure it can, it can help a lot of things. And then also um, make sure and go get that collector's Kate Daly Show coin. It's a very limited edition and it's a special short-term fundraiser for the show. And also you get some coin in your pocket because I think silver will go through the roof. But right now, as it stands, 40, 45 bucks, nice, you know, little jingle in your pocket. It also is reminiscent of the, of the, based on the coin that was first minted in the United States when the United States became the United States. And uh, there's a reason for that cover on the coin. And then also it says, be faithful, be fearless. So you can always remember to do that, um, that that's going to get us through what's coming. So please go get the coin. And uh, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Buy a few for family and friends. And uh, thank you for participating in this because it means a lot and it keeps us on the air. So let's go back. Let's go back, shall we? Um, so <clears throat> how did they get famous within months? The, there was no experience from Epstein, but he knew he was going to change their entire look. This guy's young. He has a past. He was gay. He was, came from a very wealthy family. He actually wanted to design clothes, but his family would said no. They wouldn't let him. And when they said no to him, uh, you're not going to go down that path, it was really curious because he ended up in, in like the high school age going away to school, and then he joined the Royal Service Corps, Royal Army Service Corps, okay? Did some national service, left, didn't even pick up his army pay. Pretty wealthy kid, pretty wealthy guy at a young age. Then he goes 
to a psychiatrist, a friend of the Epstein family. His family wanted him to see a psychiatrist who suggested to Harry Epstein, the father, that his son should leave Liverpool as soon as possible. And then Epstein revealed the ambition of becoming an actor, so his parents allowed him to go and study at London, Royal Academy of Dramatic Art, R-A-D-A, RADA, in London. This is where Albert Finney, Peter O'Toole, lots of actors, uh, trained there. Now, you have to realize that the British and the Americans were putting money into the arts, Okay, they were heavily putting money into the arts and the dad didn't want him to design clothes, but it was okay if he went to this dramatic arts school. Kind of weird. Um, But uh, but he dropped out, he said. And in 1964, he was only 21 years old by this time. And he starts to manage the family's record stores. Okay, And. Um, also the, the front organizations, they call them pass-throughs. The CIA was pouring millions of dollars into cultural activities, education institutions all over the country at this time and all over the world with the British too. Okay. So since the 1950s, you've had Hollywood and, and music scene weighing in on politics, points of view, culture of all kinds. Right. And that was on purpose, by the way. Um, They're there to groom the people into the very liberal new world order. So that's why all the helm of Hollywood are all on the same exact page politically. It's kind of strange when you think about this, because this started right around the time of the Beatles, really. And it was about making sure that all of Hollywood, you rarely heard any other point of view. Isn't that strange amongst a very diverse group of people to hear the exact same politics? Very weird, right? So Epstein, the official story is Brian Epstein uh, later talked about this performance that he saw, a very small performance, just like Dylan's performance, okay? Very small. He said, I was immediately struck by their music, their beat and their sense of humor on stage. And when I met them, I was struck by their charm. And that was that. (laughs) Huh. So you just decide to manage a band? I mean, he'd never managed a band before in his life. Very weird. And at their performance, uh, I went into the dressing room to talk to them. And uh, basically, uh, George Harrison says, what brings, what, and what brings Mr. Epstein here? Why would you talk like that to somebody that you were impressed by, right? And, and he replied, I just popped in to say hello, enjoyed your performance. And basically, um, he went to lunch after meeting the Beatles and replied to a friend that they, that, that, his friend said, I thought they were absolutely awful. And Epstein sat there and said, well, I think they're tremendous and decided to manage them. Hmm. Okay. Then it gets more strange. Unknown band, unknown manager. They get together and they think they're going to go somewhere really fast. Well, they do. Why would they trust some unknown? Who knows? Did he have a crystal ball? So then he gets with them and uh, he says, I didn't sign the contract. Only they signed it. So they can hold me to it, but I can't hold them. That's a little weird. And the contract stated that Epstein will receive a management commission of 25% of the group's gross income after a certain financial threshold had been reached. Now, keep in mind at this point, I think Brian Epstein is working for the BCS, the British intelligence. And this is why he didn't sign the contract, because basically he's going to turn them over to somebody else, Sir George Martin, and... It doesn't work that way. He's not going to make a a tremendous amount of money here. Remember that Colonel Tom Parker got 50% of Elvis, 
and Elvis only got 22% of himself. And the other percentage went to people unnamed and unknown. Remember that. The Beatles argued um, for a smaller percentage for him, but Epstein pointed out that he was going to pay their expenses. And four days before the release of Love Me Do, Epstein signed only Lennon and McCartney to a three-year publishing contract. And he told his father, yeah, I have a new company. It's called uh, Northern Songs, and this is my new publishing company. And so um, the copyrights of all the Lennon-McCartney compositions recorded between 63 and 73, an entire decade, uh, they would control it. And then it comes along Dick James and his partner, Charles Silver, owned 51% of the company. Lennon and McCartney, 20% each, Epstein, 9%. And um, then he dies suddenly, weirdly, of a drug overdose. (laughs) Okay. And at the time, they were saying he really wasn't into that stuff, but suddenly died as a drug overdose. So entered into the scene Sir George Henry Martin, who is considered the fifth Beatle. And he's an English record producer, arranger, composer, conductor. So I guess they were getting rid of Brian Epstein to make room for George Martin. And he was also a senior executive role at the media companies that were very controlled at the time, because now we're talking the 60s. And um, he had a wide range of charitable causes, like his work for the Prince's Trust, Caribbean Islands, and... Also, he was made a night bachelor in 1996, by the way, for all of his good deeds that he did in the music industry. So Epstein dies. This guy comes in. He was in the military in um, the 40s. And then uh, he attended uh, Guildhall School of Music and Drama. In fact, check this out. His teacher, one of his teachers the mother of Jane Asher, who later became involved with uh, Paul McCartney. Kind of a close-knit group, really. (laughs) And uh, uh, Martin explained that he just had picked it up by himself and basically was into music now. And then another meeting with Epstein, EMI uh, Studios. Martin was impressed about uh, by Epstein and agreed to sign the unknown Beatles at the time to a recording contract without even having met them. Same thing with... uh, Elvis, he was signed to a seven-year Paramount contract, and they didn't even screen test him. Weird. So why did the record companies have to groom and market the music to the audience? Think about that for a minute. If you were an act, and you went went and made a record, and then you shopped that record around to the DJs, and you got people to like you and ask for the record to be played, okay? So people either like you or they don't. You show up and people like you. We have gotten used to the idea of being groomed. Do you realize that? We're used to it. We're used to seeing the packaging going on. What happens when you watch a movie now of an artist um, in the last six decades becoming famous? They're packaged and they're marketed, right, to the public. But why do they have to do that? Nobody ever asks that. Why? It just, because the control is there. They want that artist controlled, and they want them to know they're controlled, even more importantly. They want them to know they're controlled. So they change appearance, they do whatever they're going to do with them, and they are a commodity. Same with the starlets in the movie industry back in the, um, 
in the in the twenties and thirties and forties, they were all owned by their studio, right? So, and let me look at Marilyn Monroe, completely changed, right? She wasn't really that much to look at as Norma. She becomes Marilyn Monroe. She becomes the act that they want her to become. Go look at the Sgt. Pepper um, Lonely Hearts Club album because they're outing about 100 people that work for the CIA that are in Hollywood. <laughs> the pictures are right there. They, they weren't exactly hiding it. They were just hiding it discreetly. Do you know what I mean? Like kind of openly but discreetly at the same time. So Epstein had no prior experience. He hands them off because he doesn't even sign the contract. Who does that? Who, who gets a company up and running like Northern Songs and then doesn't sign the contract with the Beatles and is willing to hand them off to, to another guy and then all of a sudden he's swept out of the picture? Really strange. Really strange. And so um, a lot of people forget that the Beatles were not as popular in 1966. Their U.S. tour had been not as popular as they want to make you think. There were a lot of half-empty venues they never talk about. The masters of propaganda behind them had made a big mistake with the we're more popular than Jesus now quote. And that line was no accident. Lennon said that as a joke off the cuff. We're more important than Jesus. And it was an important storyline, though, because part of the propaganda during this time and since has been the destruction of Christianity. The intelligence communities have been trying to destroy Christianity since about 1875, but uh, they played their hand a little too far and encountered serious backlash in 66. But rather than quit, because they have invested a lot into this group now, right? And I don't know if the Beatles were always willing to do this. Who knows? But rather than quit, they decided to reinvent them. And so they did a whole brand new PR push. But the whole push was about putting Buddhism out there. <laughs> really, to counter Christianity. The, the Beatles suddenly became Buddhists and Eastern mystics. And intelligence imported the manufactured drug culture into the Beatles regimen, pushing LSD and other drugs. The Beatles actually denied that Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds was written to push LSD, but obviously you just read the lyrics, <laughs> right? A lot more there. And these drugs were weapons of the intelligence communities against the hippies and the anti-war movement too. So you have that component as well. But they did reinvent them and they came back as these Eastern mystic Buddhists, right? You notice that? Be right back on the Kate Daly Show. Hi, this is Kate Daly. I'm so excited, you guys. The first ever commemorative and limited edition Kate Daly Show coin is here. And I am hoping that you will act to purchase one or several for family, for friends, for yourself. These are real silver coins uh, worth about $40, $45. And this is a way to invest in silver, which they say is going to go through the roof, and also to support free speech to support the show. And if you listen to my show and you love what we do and you know how seriously we take this, we are not bought and sold. We are not told what to say by any corporation. We're completely independent. This money goes right to the show and it will help the show grow and also have a security for the show so we can keep the show going. This is a special fundraiser, limited edition, only for a short time 
for the show, and I hope you take part in it. It's a beautiful coin modeled after the flowing hair dollar. This is a, a side picture of a woman, uh, long flowing hair. It was the first coin ever minted in the United States when the United States became the United States. And I celebrate that history with you. And the reason I wanted it to be minted after that coin as a reminder to be faithful and be fearless as they were back in 1794 and a reminder of to what this country is about and where we need to get this country back to is a country that we know listens to the Constitution, obeys the Constitution again. I'm so grateful for this. You can find it at katedallyradio.com. You can, the, the link is right at the top of the homepage, katedallyradio.com, or you can go katedallyshow.com forward slash coin. And you can go in, purchase the coin, super easy to do. And I thank you from the bottom of my heart for helping this show, for helping truth and helping us get the, these messages out there. Thank you. Thank you for supporting this show. And thank you for acting, not just listening, but acting and doing something that's going to mean a lot to truth in radio. Thank you. 50. This is the Kate Daly show. Every time I listen to that now, I'm going to think of it a little differently, <laughs> especially with that cover. You know, they put Marilyn Monroe on there twice, right? Weird. Anyway, um, as a as a spook, yeah, as a uh, agent, told what to say, groomed, all of it, Rolling Stones, everything, everything's on that cover. You should go check that out. And um, I hope you're enjoying today's broadcast. Make sure that you go and get a, a collector's coin, if you will, um, because it means a lot to the show. If you want to keep this show around, then uh, please go and get one of those wonderful silver coins, a real silver, and you'll have uh, some money in your pocket with silver. But you can also help the show. It's a great fundraiser for the show. And it's right at the top of the website, katedallyradio.com. I so appreciate you. It's really easy to order. And uh, please, if you could get a few, that would be even better. So uh, for family and friends. Um, so I just wanted to mention Balance of Nature, balanceofnature.com. Go there and get the supplement I'm always talking about because it's a 30-day money-back guarantee. I mean, you have nothing to lose. Just try it out. See what it does for your health because it's going to have a remarkable effect on that. 31 fruits and vegetables a day in capsule form. It's fantastic. And uh, also MyPillow.com, uh, MyPillow.com, code word Kate. And uh, please go there as well and get their wonderful products because they really are that great. Now, I'm not debating music ability here. So I hope people aren't misunderstanding. I'm going for who, how did they become famous? Were they controlled? And who was around them? What are their stories? Because their backstories are very interesting. You know, Elvis's dad was in a lot of trouble right? Spent a little time behind bars. Was there agreements made to have Elvis be, be part of what was about to happen? Could have been. 
Because if you have if you have this kind of music you're trying to introduce to a public that for the last 50 years before that had listened to big band, okay, that was there was no real big shifts in the last 50 years before Elvis. You get to Elvis and Chuck Berry and stuff, but Elvis is the white guy bringing this, this music. And so um, he started performing at eight, so a little more groomed, was uh, the whole uh, Priscilla thing. You know, her parents didn't even want to come with a young 16-year-old and make sure she was really okay. They just counted on Elvis to do that while they sent her stateside. Was that part of an arrangement? Was her father a military asset? Was that part of an arranged marriage to kind of keep control of him? Who knows? Just asking the questions. Uh, Lennon always refers to himself as a troublemaker, in and out of trouble, and uh, of course wasn't raised by his mom, was raised by his aunt, and uh, a really troubling kind of backstory there. Sometimes they have no past, or sometimes they come from nobility. It's really strange. Um, so there's always things to look at there. And then um, I also wanted to mention just about Sergeant Pepper a little bit more. Um, Sergeant Pepper, it's interesting because it explains Brian Wilson's reaction to the release of the album in 1967. This comes from Miles Mathis. We are told uh, Wilson went into a funk. Why? Because British intelligence had just beaten American intelligence at the propaganda game. Pet sounds in the U.S. entry in that competition of music, right? Uh, for greatest album manufactured by intelligence, heavily involved in the manufacturing of pet sounds, was pretty successful, but compared to Sgt. Pepper, it wasn't. So Wilson realized he couldn't compete with the combined forces of possible George Martin, BSC, M M M16. And so uh, Pepper had a whole team of invisible songwriters, musicians, photographers, set designers, promoters. And this is why they were tracking success so fast. The Beatles and the Beach Boys were both on the EMI label, the EMI being a CIA front, but the U.S. EMI team simply couldn't match the British one. So, um, John Pepper was head of the entire British spy organization in the late 1940s, and that's why the song says that. Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play 20 years ago. This was done in 67, so 47, 1947. And uh, there's not a whole lot out of information of him out there. It's been heavily scrubbed. And, uh, but they used his name on the album cover. And you know that they like a little bit of that, right? They like to put it out there just a little, just a little to see if you notice, right? And um, also, um, well, there's just a lot of things like songs, A Day in the Life. Uh, the first part of that is said to be about Tara Brown, allegedly killed in a 1966 car crash. And Brown was known to be a friend of McCartney and the Stones and other people and was working for M. I'm sorry, I keep saying M16, MI6, um, in one capacity or another. So was Brown an agent? Here's the, consider the lines of the song. And although the news was rather sad, I just had to laugh. McCartney wouldn't be laughing if Brown were really a friend <laughs> or really dead. Interesting. And then, of course, uh, I read the news today, oh boy, about a lucky man who'd made the grade. What do they mean when they say made the grade? Agents are graded, meaning they are given a classification depending on how high they are in the hierarchy. And so, do you have any evidence that Tara was an agent? Um, there is some evidence of that, but uh, I just thought that was kind of an interesting part of the story. So... um. Revolution, they say you want a revolution, 
Well, you know, we all want to change the world. You tell me that it's evolution, but you know we all want to change the world. The constant reference to changing everything was really the MO of the, of the whole 60s on, 50s on. It was all about change. And that's why I brought up Bob Dylan is because the music, the times are changing, was all about, hey, parents, you don't have control of your kids anymore. Basically, it's change, change, and change, and you better keep up. And congressmen and senators don't stand in the way of that change. That's in the song, um, Times Are Changing. And although it says, but when you talk about destruction, don't you know you can count me out? I think it was really about talking about the very kind of subversive way they were doing it. The overhaul of cultural revolution um, and how they were going to do it. And that was manipulation and a lot of mind manipulation, too. In the song Revolution, it says, so you've got a real solution. Well, you know, we'd all love to see the plan. You ask me for a contribution. Well, you know, we're doing all we can. Certainly the Beatles were. (laughs) Because at the head of who was controlling them, very much they wanted a cultural revolution and not in a good way. Um, So I did think that was kind of interesting it also goes on to say you'll say you'll change the constitution well you know we'd all love to change your head you tell me it's the institution well you know you better free your mind instead very interesting music coming out of the beatles so there's a lot here to absorb i know um they also had a lot of songs about um about lsd and that was kind of, I always thought that was kind of interesting too. This song, I mentioned this earlier uh, in the broadcast, this was Dig It, but this song was actually never really put out that much for the masses. I mean, it really wasn't, they, they just sort of did this off the cuff um, while they were doing another project and recorded it. And this is what, the, well, this is what it said. Now remember Project Rolling Stone, Rolling Stone magazine came out in 1967 and it was really supposed to promote promote, promote propaganda and this, all this music. So interesting that they would start the song off this way. Interesting, right? Yeah, whole song is like that. So um, that's basically it. Anyway, it was like 50 seconds long and uh, naming naming these people. I, I thought that was kind of an interesting thing. I also thought it was weird that really Ringo and George Harrison were just kind of leftovers for the, the companies. I mean, they it was truly about Lennon and McCartney. And the contracts and the music uh, royalties and things like that, it was Lennon and McCartney. And that was from the beginning. That didn't change. It was never really about all four of them. It was about those two. And, uh, and were they controlled? Well, the people at, at the top that were controlling them, like Sir George Martin, 
Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, he was definitely controlling exactly the music and how they went because it really wasn't always organically coming from the Beatles. It was a lot of changing and shifting coming from George Martin. That's why they named him the fifth Beatle. They also, Lennon also sort of alluded and, and had a comment that George Martin was taking way too much credit for the Beatles' success because they wanted to think of themselves as a band that could do this music and do it right. But George Martin was always there to control the music. So why can't a band just put out the music they want and people either buy it or they don't, right? Why does it need to be controlled? Why the need? doesn't make sense, does it? And Elvis's case, too. It was a marketing package. And you got to see that in the new movie about Elvis because they were, they were trying to market him, what to wear, what to do. I mean, everything. So that tells you and tells me that people were making money off of this entity and also had vested interest in the results of this entity being out in the marketplace. Otherwise, why would they care? An agent signs on, gets 20%, hopes that his client's going to you know, get some good contracts or get some good money out of it, but it's not so controlled so heavily. But this was, Elvis was, and he had undisclosed members that owned 22% of him. That's weird. Same with the Beatles. The Beatles were handed off in a very weird way to George Martin and um, to the company that absorbed them and EMI. But, and then, of course, Epstein, the manager that finds them, total unknown, all of a sudden absorbs, absorbs them as an entity, gets them famous very quickly and into these other hands that are intelligence, and then also dies mysteriously at 32. Crazy. Crazy. Hi, caller. Welcome to the show. Go right ahead. Uh, the only thing I've got that I disagree with, only because I'm buying this version of the story that Paul was murdered. Mm. See, I was just about was to bring teenager, that up. That's funny that the, you said that. The Beatles made the big yeah. change yeah, in yeah, direction, yeah. Yeah. and they raised a lot of hackles with this one album that right. I didn't buy, but I did see this Butcher cover. Okay. And it's okay. gruesome. Okay. And yeah. I'll he wasn't comment. going along with the change because he says, I'm not doing this. And he said, Yes, you are. Well, okay. they had him killed. I mean, they made it like mm-hmm. a, a car accident, yeah. but he wouldn't cooperate. He's like, quit. Right. You can't I, quit. Why quit? Let me, let me comment so on anyways, this because we're going to run ahead. out of time. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to comment on this real quick um, because we're almost out of time. Otherwise, I wouldn't. So there's a couple of theories. Number one, that he died and they took a lookalike because the guy's taller, has a different facial structure, and uh, they put him in. And that is true. The pictures do not look like the original McCartney. Okay. The other story is that he was a twin. Because he has a brother, and in the photos, it looks they look very similar in age. Okay, in all the photos of their childhood, they look very similar and very similar in age. So there are that that there is that story as well. There's also a story about Elvis having a twin because you have the Elvis that has a little bit more of the Jay Leno chin. It looks a little different than the Elvis with a little bit more per- uh, perfect facial structure. And if you go and compare photos, you'll see differences. There's also a story about the guy that impersonates, that has won the contest to impersonate Lennon, actually has all the same birthmarks and moles and everything that Lennon did. Did he fake his death? So there's that too. And that was a movie that had come out a few years ago that they tried to kind of get rid of because he's talking a lot in the movie about having this whole collection of stuff from Lennon that would probably be pretty costly and almost impossible to get and that he, um, he looks, he's the dead ringer. So is he Lennon? And usually when somebody is impersonating somebody, they put the music, they put the stuff on 
to impersonate, impersonate them, but he hides his appearance as a normal person. Does that make sense? He hides his appearance. So when he goes out in public, people don't think it's Lennon. That's weird. Okay. So there's a lot more stories I could have tackled today. Today was about intelligence and whether or not Paul was in that car crash. I don't know, but there, I have looked into that though. I've done a lot on that. And it was probably a few years back that I really looked into that just to kind of see for myself, as I noticed the pictures were different of Paul early on and, and then Paul later on. And you can't really do anything with height. I mean, that's, that's a little weird to have a huge discrepancy in height. But with all that being said, were they controlled? Yeah, there's no doubt in my mind. There's way too much evidence and I didn't even cover it all today. So there's that. (laughs) Be faithful, be fearless. Please go and purchase the collector's coin for the show. We're only doing this for a short time, limited edition. Please get one before they're gone. And I love these coins and I think they're wonderful and they do help us stay on the air for all the things that we have to do and need to do. Thank you so much for doing that and being a part of Free Speech. See you back here on Monday.